Well, I know you all came expecting today to hear something that I have been rumbling around in my spirit for months and months and months, and I have no idea how to start. So, but I see the body of Christ, not just this church, not just believers here, but the body of Christ overall struggling with certain things. I see them struggling with fulfilling their God-given purpose. I, I see them struggling, fighting, wrangling with their selves, with issues, with battles, with foes. And I see them missing what God has for them. Not intentionally, certainly not. Because sometimes we think, I was talking to a pastor the other day and I just asked him, I said, tell me the basis of men missing God. Men sinning, men being disobedient, men not becoming Christ-like, men not arriving, men not achieving, men not standing. And he said, well, they don't love people, love God enough. I said, really? He said, absolutely not. They don't love God enough. And, and he just went on and on for about 10 minutes. And finally I said, you know, you and I both need to realize that you don't even know what you're talking about, do you? And he said, you're absolutely right, Pastor Dosak. See, people think that it's just a love issue. It's not a love issue. We as Christians are in love with God. You may not realize that, but we're in love with God. If I could have 1 Peter 1, 8 up on the screen. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 that the love of God constrains us. That doesn't mean it always governs us rightly, but it means that it, it challenges us and always pulls us back to the course of the race that we are involved in. If it constrained us and had full dominion over our life, certainly we would never sin. Because it's not our nature to sin. The Bible says, he that is born of God sinneth not. And that simply means that we don't do things sinful with intention and motive to violate God's will or purpose in our life. But in 1 Peter 1, 8, it says, whom having not seen, you love. This is to the church, in whom though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. I wish I could find one Christian that had an eighth of an inch of joy and full of glory. I wish I could find that. Most Christians are miserable. Come on. I was telling one guy in a coal mine one time when I was working in the coal mines, used to work in 24-inch coal and 48-inch coal, and you say, well, why, why did you do that? Well, they called them scab mines, and I did it because they paid me $5.50 an hour. That's why I did it. And so Phyllis and I were living on what we called Honky Hill, and... Uh, it had rats bigger than our cat. And uh, one night our cat gave birth to kittens and I heard this thing coming across the floor. I didn't know it. it was going, shh, 
So I did what every man of God would. Phyllis, get up and see what that is. I mean, I was petrified. I thought, it's one of them rats come to take ownership of us. And uh, we, had, we had rattlesnakes in our yard and rats on our back porch. The back porch was falling down. And we lived in a house where a man had killed himself. And Nikki told us every night, Dad, who is that guy that comes in to my room and stands in the corner? I told Phyllis, you better take care of that. Well, we later took authority over it, and he disappeared, and Nikki lost her friend. And uh, she didn't know, but then we later found out that the guy had killed himself right in that room. You say, oh, do you believe that stuff? I believe anything that the devil does that tries to destroy people, he'll do. That's what I believe. And so here come the shh, shh, shh. I'm getting more terrorized at every shh, shh. And then it heads for the bedroom. Shh, shh. I said, oh, my God, what is that, Phyllis? I don't know, honey. Get up and turn the light on. I said, I ain't getting up. Absolutely not, and I'm not leaving the safety of this bed and the sacrifice that I can throw overboard. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it, Phyllis. And so then finally I jumped off the bed and turned the light on and jumped back on the bed. And here was this cat that had had kittens, had went into the kitchen, climbed up on the, uh, yeah, whatever, the sink top, and uh, pulled off a loaf of bread. And she was dragging it to the kittens. I wanted to kill that cat. And, uh, but anyway, we lived on Honky Hill, and I, and I was working in this coal mine, and I, uh, Kara, I think, was there. It was about two or three miles down. We were drilling towards a place that had already been filled up with water, and there were miners there that had been killed, and we were digging towards that. Uh, riverbed that had broke in on them and uh, so we were cautious about watching for water and all that kind of stuff but there was a man came to me and he was standing up there by the uh, head of the mine and I, I started telling him about Jesus how happy I was to be a Christian and then when he went away he didn't get saved that day when he went away I told the Lord you know God to be honest I wish I was that man I was talking about I said, God, I am miserable. I said, I, I'm serving you, and I'm putting up with everything I go through, but the truth be known, God, between you and I, Christianity sucks. There, there's nothing joyful that I can find in it. It's all, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't do this. God, I, 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 I've given up everything, but still... I don't have any joy. And if I had druthers, if I could go to heaven any other way, I'd take it. I said, but I can't. Jesus is the way. This Christianity stuff is the only way I can get to heaven. So I had to put up and endure. Now, some people would say, but the love of God. Well, the love of God is a reality in my life, and I love him according to 1 John 4, 17, because he loved me. Now, I don't love God in the depth that God loves me, but I do love him with a passion and a commitment. I, I'm devoted to God, but 
When I'm devoted to God, I'm like Paul. When I want to do good, I constantly run into this evil foe that seems to haunt me like a shadow. And I can't get away from it. And every time I want to do good, I just I have to tell you, I just end up taking the path of least resistance and I end up doing things halfway. I end up doing things less than passionately and I end up doing things just to get by and I end up doing things that I know that God is not satisfied with. Now maybe that's not you. I'm telling you my story. But probably every person in this building is a part of my story. And so I begin to wonder, God, how can I fulfill this God-given purpose, this expression of Christ in a man, an expression of the Christ on man, expression of Christ in me? How can I do it? Because I want to tell you something, I am failing miserably. And some of you say, oh my God, you've been in sin, you've been, oh, stop. No, I'm not going around drinking beer and smoking suds and watching dirty movies and, and cussing you behind your back. Now the thoughts come, but I don't do it. Just as much as you cuss me, I've had those thoughts too. Don't think you're in the same boat all alone. No, we're cussing each other. You know I'm kidding you. But there is an element of truth in every joke they say. But I, I just, I'm just telling you what the Lord has unveiled to me that I know that without, without a question that I can live the Christ in me life. That I can live a life where people will declare of me, he is a Christian. I can live a life that I have been redeemed from sin to. And that is missing in the body of Christ. Because most of our teaching about the body of Christ is all self-help. It's all about how you can get more and have more. And, and, and I understand that, you know, God wants us to live life. He wants us to have an abundance and sufficiency to abound unto every good work. But there is more to faith than just accumulating barns full of goods. And what our preachers are not teaching us is how to overcome. Because here is the typical counseling session. Is all this in your notes? Absolutely not. I have no idea where I'm going. So when we get there, let me know. But the typical session of counseling is, Pastor, I've been watching pornography. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We want to cut off your computer. We want to cut off your phone. We want to cut off the finger that you push the pad with. We are going to put a chastity belt on you. And if you keep it up, we're going to treat you like a bull that is no longer fit to breed. In other words, yep, we're going to D you. 
Yeah. Now, the second thing is, you need to be more diligent. You need to be consistent. You need to be tempered. You need to get a hold of yourself. And you need to stop it, and you need to be happy with your wife. And then we would say, here's a book. Read this book, it'll help you. Then the second thing is, you just need to fall in love with Jesus. Then you need to spend more time in the Bible. You need to pray some more, and you need to fast and break this over your life. Typical counseling session. Doesn't matter what church you went to. Those are... The reactions. The only problem is that all of those are based upon mere mortal strength. Has nothing to do with God whatsoever. But studying does, I, I understand studying does, but you've been saved 10 years and you got caught in pornography, like what does that say for the power of the word in your life? Now, I'm not talking about sin today. I, I'm, just, I'm really not. Because this goes far beyond the old sin man ruling in your life. It goes far beyond that. But it seems like God has called us to these great frontiers, crucifying the flesh, put off the old man. You know, believe God, don't fear, don't doubt. But it seemed like he just left us there and we're supposed to overcome these things with mere human strength. No, it cannot and never will happen. Because the Bible says the reason that the law did not work. Now the law was added for transgression to show people that they were falling short of God's basic requirements of walking with him by faith. And it was added to tell you that fornicators, lasciviousness, homosexuality, lesbianism, thieves, liars, and, and coveters will never ever be blessed and they will be cursed in their life and God will bring the curse on them because he watches over his word for good and for evil and that you are never going to make it to heaven and you're going to be kept separated from God. Then God gives us all these challenges. But the Bible says the reason that the law condemned us was because the flesh was weak in fulfilling it. So the law is no less more powerful today than it was yesterday. It still is the basis of all sin, and it still reveals to us the transgressions of man and his sinful state. And so if we couldn't fulfill it then, how can we fulfill it now? Did your flesh get stronger? Well, that you can resist sin? I don't know about you, mine doesn't seem to migrate when it gets stronger not to do sin. It migrates to do it. Maybe you're not like me. You're like me. The stronger your flesh gets, 
the more it'll draw you away from God, not draw you to God. So don't even give me that spiritual mumbo-jumbo. Oh, yes, I just want all of God I can get. Sure you do. Now we want that. Why? Because we love God. But, you know, loving God is not enough. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, no, it's not. Not any more than loving your wife without actions is enough. I think it was said of a woman, the husband said, if I had 10,000 arms, I'd put them all around you. She said, why don't you start with the two you got? And that's pretty much true. You know, we have simple things like, why husbands love your wives? Well, that stopped about two weeks after we got married. And some of us, 90% of us, are guilty of loving our wives like four or five different segments of loving ourselves, loving things, loving hobbies, and loving others before we ever love her. And that is sin. That's transgression. That is totally not like Jesus. How do we overcome that? Well, well, well you just, you, you know, you just got to start spending time at, oh, no, 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 there you go. It's always you. Paul said, when I do good, evil is there. And I'm just telling you, I just, I become overcome with that evil. I know what I'm supposed to do. I just can't do it. Did Paul end up his career like that with living for Christ? Hopelessly bound and driven and led and corralled by wrong? No, absolutely not. No. The love of Christ constrains us. We get off, and, and the love of Christ draws us back like a chariot in Ben-Hur movie, sliding around the corner and coming back to the place of right. We love him because he first loved us. We are in love with God. There is no shortage of love for God in the church. Well, I, I, you know, you, you could love somebody if they would die for you. If he was a good man, some would dare die. But you, you couldn't love somebody when everything was going wrong and they seemed to be the cause of it. God calls us to these great horizons. Be crucified and live. Be circumcised. Put off the old man. Put on the new man holy, righteous before God. He makes de great declarations. You can do all things through Christ. That is true. But 90% of us fail in doing everything even though Christ has provided the answer. Certainly, I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I find myself sometimes thinking, you know, God, I'd, I'd like to spend this $100 if I could just have the tithe. You mean you don't? I'm telling you what evil rises up in every man. 
Well, aren't you just diligent and committed enough? Don't you wish devotion and commitment was enough? Don't you wish that? It's not. It's not. Because it's all rooted in humanistic strength. Listen. Every day, I have to fight thoughts. I have to fight them. I got to pull them down. They come. Kill Philip. Then reason comes back. We ain't got no insurance on that. <laughs> then the other part says, but we could get some. You know, there is no end to where darkness wants to take you. There is no end. And so, I'm faced with this dilemma. How can I be, God, what you want me to be when it seems like all you've done is called me to be something I can't ever do on my own? And he says, you're right. You cannot do it on your own. Now, I know immediately some people are going to say, well, it's not by works, brother. Oh, but there is a segment of great depth of work that is involved. It just doesn't involve your human strength. But it does require work. And so we love God. And listen to me. If you think I don't love God, if you think that I would put up with what I go through, from churches in the area of being called a cult, charlatan, people in the congregation, oh, he made me mad, he did this, he did that. The pettiness of carnality sometimes wears me, man, like a blister on my foot in a pair of shoes that I just cannot feel. Sometimes I would just, in fact, I found myself a couple months ago thinking, God, how could I retire? When do I get to retire? He said, I don't know. I, I, I haven't set any dates. Are you considering one? I said, well, how mad would you be if I took it? I wouldn't be mad. I'll still love you. But you think of all of the other people. That never will come to know me. And if you're willing to stand behind, beside me and in front of me with blood dripping from your hands, go ahead and retire. I'll meet your needs and I'll take care of you. I decided I'm not going to retire until I die. Then I'm putting in for Social Security. <laughs> Heaven's Social Security. Can't trust the government, Social Security, praise God. They don't even give you back what you gave them. Hallelujah. Anyway, moving right along. That's another sermon. Now, I know right now that you are not sitting here saying I love God because of the goodness of all the victories that have come to my life. I asked any individual in here sometime this week, it would seem like God had failed you. 
something didn't pan out the way that you thought. A seed never produced a harvest. The windows of heaven didn't even crack open. It seemed like everything got worse. Your kids went crazy. They, you know, you found out my, my son's living with a woman now. Pastor, what? that's not how he was raised. And, you know, the list goes on and on and on. What keeps a Christian coming back to church after they've been beat up week after week after week after week after week? Motivation. What is motivation? Love. Love is the motivator. But love does not change things. Oh, yes, no, 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 it doesn't. Love doesn't change anything. Faith, love is a motivator, but faith is the creator. Only faith can create the Christ man. Only faith can defeat the old man. Only faith can turn us to the point that when we know good, we can resist evil. 1 Peter 1.5 says we are kept by the power of God through faith, through faith, not just loving God. If everybody that, that loved God got their just due, hallelujah, it'd be great. You don't get your just due by loving God. You get your just due by using your faith to, to create what God has given you. God so loved the world that he did what? That whosoever believeth in him should not but have. What was the reason that God gave his only begotten son? He loved the world. But does that save the world? No. We are saved by God's provision in an area that we could not help ourselves when we mix faith. We are saved by grace through what? Now that word salvation doesn't just mean, hey, we've been ransomed from sin. It does mean that. But when it talks about ransom from sin, it means plucked out of sin so completely that there is no trace nor any power of its effect over you ever again. That's not what we see in the church. Why is it a lack of love? Absolutely not. No, it is not a lack of love. It is a lack of using our faith. To be kept from what? Temptation. From the challenge of do evil when you know good. No amount of temperance, mental strength, humanistic power. Please, please understand. This is not a mortal fight. It is a spiritual battle. And mere men cannot win it. 
Men have tried. They end up being called backsliders. Men have tried. They end up being bound, bound in bondage, separated from God, crushed, destroyed, prisoners of that which they once were redeemed from. So mere mortal strength, certainly, listen, please, listen to me. It is not your answer. And we have got to stop dealing with what we are thrown into every day with the adversary, with people, these battles that we face that we never win. I don't know how many times I've pulled down strongholds. I have no idea. I think they're like them pinball things. They just re-pop up. Why? Because they've really never been rooted out. That's why. They may have been run over by some moment of strength or diligence or temperance. But if they're not rooted out, they're going to spring back up. And they don't spring back up in the same power that they were there before. They spring up with greater strength. Matthew, the 12th chapter and verse 46 on down. So we have to understand that if we continue the pattern that we are dealing with things in right now, we're not going to become more Christ-like. Everything produces after its own kind, and every time you fail, there's a seed that hits the ground that's going to spring up, producing after that failure. Born out of knowledge of your strengths, your weaknesses, and who has sowed it but the enemy. And most of us aren't dealing with just one stronghold. We're dealing with all of his brothers, sisters, and cousins. Because we tried it once, we failed. We tried it again, if we failed. We failed, we failed, we failed. And it, it is true that a righteous man falls seven times. But he gets up eight times, yay. In other words, he begins new, but he's not as stupid as the other times that he's fallen. He learns something of the skills of warfare while he is there. So, it's not love. It's not a lack of love. Please, know this. You are not here because you don't have love. You are here, ragtag, families falling apart, children going crazy, everything facing you, needs coming up. You know, lives changing at a phone call. You know, everything in the world is happening in your life. And you still, after all of those disappointments, you show up in a church. Hearing about God. Desiring to be everything that God wants us to be. Desiring to be transformed. Desiring God to find the place of rest that my old man does not dominate me, that my carnal mind doesn't separate me anymore, that, that God lust doesn't whirl me, that God the dreams in my mind that I don't have any control of and don't want constantly bombards me. God, I want to come to the place that I rest in the Lord. I rest in the Lord. So we are kept by the power of God through faith. From what? From temptation. From failure. 
from caving in, from falling, from lukewarmness, from coldness, from backsliding. It's not a lack of your love. It ends up just being so insurmountable weights of disappointment that sometimes backsliders say, look, I just got to be honest with myself. I don't know what to do. I just know I'm doing it wrong. And God, it seems like I'm all alone and just out of my history. I'm not going to make it anyway. We've all had that voice of backsliding come into our head. We've all thought about things. Well, I'm not going to tithe this week or, you know, well, I'm going to lay out of church this week. Or What are those things? Those are being dominated by the outward man. They aren't the fruit of an inward man. Jesus never missed Sunday synagogue. He never missed tithing. He always had his nose stuck right in the offering bucket. Seeing who gave and who didn't give. <laughs> yeah. You, does he do that? Oh, yeah, we got a big Jesus right up here. When you drop them pennies in and you walk back with paper rubbing itself on your rear end, he says, thanks a lot. And then he says, I'm being sarcastic. Yeah, Jesus sees everything we do. But why do we do these things? Why, why do we live in doubt? Why do we live in fear? Why do we start and stop? Why do we get behind and then fall off? Why do we start praying on Sunday morning for two weeks and then just stop? It is not that you don't love God. And it's not that you aren't behind your church. It's just you literally don't have power over your old man. Now, I would like to help God and crucify that old man sometimes. But it wouldn't be the crucifixion you'd like. I'd use real nails and a real cross. And I'd hang you all up alongside the outside walls of our church so people could see that we are living a crucified life. I wouldn't do that. I'm trying to get your attention to realize that you can only keep yourself from hate. From a seared conscience. Because once you start falling into this repetitive old nature thing that every time you want to do good, this evil rises up. Pretty soon, your conscience cannot endure the reality of failure. And so you either have to deal with your conscience or it's going to get hardened in order to protect your mind. And then what happens is that if you don't cleanse your conscience from an evil conscience, you'll never have boldness of faith. In other words, you're always going to go right back to the humanistic strength. And you're going to do, if you're in a Catholic church, you'll do penance. But all that does is just put off the hardening of your conscience. Because pretty soon you're going to come into that confession booth and you're not going to say, I was lusting after my neighbor's wife, and she lusted after me. We came together. We fornicated. Forgive me, Father. And say, he'll say, ten Hail Marys. He'll do the ten Hail Marys, and you're going to go after your neighbor's wife again, and she's going to come after you, and next week you'll do 15, and 
and 20, pretty soon your conscience is just so seared that you just stop telling him that it happened. You say, well, I'm not a Catholic, I know it. But you stop acknowledging what you've been doing because of the pressure of failure. So we get seared consciences. We, we, we don't want to do anything. We don't want to try anything because we fail. We just fail. That lack of love? No, no, absolutely not. Keep getting up after you failed is love. I don't know how many times Phyllis was going to divorce me and I was going to divorce her, but, you know, we'd hash it out and pretty soon... Okay, let's live together for the kids' sake, and da-da-da-da. Then we got saved, and then we said, we aren't going to use the word divorce anymore. We think about it, but we ain't saying it. And uh, we haven't changed a bit. But we're supposed to. But I love God. I want to do what he wants me to do. I know it. I wrestle with it all the time. Fear comes in. I take the way of least resistance. Doubt comes in. Shortages show up. Tithers didn't pay. This and that. They go on and on and on. You don't have any money, Pastor. You can't do this. You can't do that. On and on. The list goes on. And I think to myself, God, there's got to be a better way of living than this. And there is. There is doesn't mean I don't love God I've been knocked down and never seen my needs met honestly I'm, I'm just telling you now, I know it doesn't exist in any of your life but in us mere mortals I've seen many times that my needs were not met and I had to punt does that mean God doesn't meet my needs it means God doesn't meet them when I'm in fear and unbelief and I haven't remedied those problems that have haunted me most of my Christian life. But don't you get your need met? Oh, absolutely. I, I couldn't do what, what we do around the world or here without God meeting my need. But I'm just telling you, and if you would be honest with yourself, you would recognize that there are millions of times that God hasn't met your needs. I know your face statement, oh, God meets all my needs according. I, I understand that. But I'm not talking about Christian cliches. I'm not talking about some charismatic Christian lingo that half the people use wrongly. People think I misuse English. You misuse scriptures. Hey, brother, how are you feeling? <coughs> I ain't sick. That's a lie. You are sick. Acknowledge you're sick and come to the altar and get prayer by the elders. But you want to give me this Christian lingo that is nothing but a bunch of charades. I'm telling you, this is one of the most important things God has ever caught me in and cuffed me by and revealed to me. You say, Pastor, you've been saved 36 years, 37 years. Absolutely, I have. But I have failed miserably in lots of areas. 
I'm not a sinful man. I mean, I, I get up in the morning and look in the mirror and then turn and look to Phyllis, and I'm grateful that I've got a wife. Does that mean you don't want other women? That means I'm not chancing disappointment on another woman. No, I don't want another woman. When Phyllis goes to heaven, all my passion and desires is going with her. And I'm going to Dr. Obalu and get a shot that'll help me remedy myself like a dead Pharaoh. And I'm never getting married again the rest of my life. I'm going to indulge myself in my grandchildren, bring my check home, give it to them, and tell them, come back after you spend it and thank me. And we're going to eat pizza and tacos. We're going to have a great time. We're going to stain the carpet. We're going to jump on the couch. We're going to turn the TV up as loud as we want. We ain't going to do dishes. We ain't clean the kitchen. And praise God, we don't much care if the house is locked up. If it ain't locked up, because we ain't got nothing left to steal, we sold it all to buy guns. I'm going to have a great life. I, you under, I'm going to have a great life. What if she goes before you? My grandchildren are believing that won't happen. So, I'm talking to you realistically. I'm telling you that we let things happen and we use language that deceives people around us and does not help us with honesty to examine ourselves whether we be in the faith or not. And every failure is not a lack of love. Every failure is a lack of Now, I didn't even get into what God revealed to me on this. But I'm just telling you frankly. Not that I don't acknowledge truth over my evidence. Absolutely not, I will. But there comes a time when I have to look and evaluate myself. What is happening? Is faith not working? Has God abandoned me? Has God forgot about me? Have I been putting my hand to the plow and not my heart? I know I love God. Listen, I wouldn't put up with what I put up with without loving God. Come on, are you kidding me? I'd move to Georgia or something, live with the big roaches and be happy. But Phyllis won't get on that survival stuff. I wanted to get off grid. What does that mean? Have Phyllis working me not? That was off grid to me. Hallelujah. But you know what? I look at my life and say, God, what if I today showed up at heaven? And I had so much to do. And I just said, God, I just, I can't do it. He says, son, you're right. I never gave you anything that you could do on your own. I only gave you things that you could be motivated by your love for me and be accomplished by the faith that I gave you. I never asked you to face life by yourself. I never said 
you do it. I never said, this is what I require. Whatever it takes, you got to do it. I've never asked you that. I've never asked you that. But you have abandoned my way of life. The just shall live by faith. And you have accumulated all types of humanistic, mind-strengthening, empowerments of self-helps, threads of promised deliverance that end up nothing. You've chosen books and the wisdom of man over the counsel of me, your father. You've chosen the way of carnality. You've chosen the way of men. Paul said that, you know what? I cannot trust in men or myself. I must trust God. Not next Sunday, the Sunday after. Because next Sunday is Easter. One of my great days, hallelujah, when the tomb was empty. And redemption called my name. Hallelujah. The week after that, I'm going to continue this. And hopefully, I'll have some notes. I hope I haven't reflected to you that, well, you, Pastor, you're just like a mere man. Yes. Well, Pastor, you, you, you like I have failures. Yes. Like, Pastor, you, you have disappointments. Yes. You've had times that the devil's won. You've had time that it seemed like God's not come through. Yeah. Millions of them. Millions of them. But my love for the Father keeps motivating me to go on. No matter how weak I am, no matter how times I've, I've failed and how many times I've crumbled and how many times I've been disappointed in myself, that love, that motivator. God, I love you. Let me do it over. God, I'll do it again. I, I, God, whatever it takes. God, I promise I'll, I'll, I'll study more. God, I'll do this. I'll do that. All of those have been said. But the Christ man that I'm looking for has not ruled me the way that he should. But The new man can be created in our lives by faith. Stand to your feet. Father, in the name of Jesus, I've done just as simply as I could, God, with this revelation that, that I believe God is one of the richest treasures, the transforming life of every Christian. God, just let them see that there is no lack of their devotion and love for you. You've never questioned that, and you never will. 
because they love you for the simple fact that they appear every week battle-scarred, beat up, discouraged, disappointed, rejected, run over by buses, God, thrown under buses. God, they show up every Sunday saying, God, life is miserable, but I love you. I love you, God. I love you. God, we love you as a people and as a church. We love you, God. There is no lack of devotion and love to you, God, in this house. That's why, God, we have sought to sit at your feet and to hear the truth that will set the new man free. God, we thank you for it. God, bless the people. Now, God, I just give you the praise and the glory. Bless their families, their businesses, God. All that they put their hands to, you said you would. Now, God, we just put ourselves in the safekeeping of you, our Father. And God, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. See you Wednesday night.